0: We'll be joined together in reading and reading from Acts 1, excuse me, Acts 6, 1 to 7. In those days, when the number of disciples were increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. A convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. We thank you for the reading of the word.
1: May be seated. Thank you, Paula. Good morning. So we're in this series about eating with Jesus, and we're, we're sort of gearing up for starting the first phase of our collective practice of hospitality. What we've encouraged you to do at this point is to at least once a week to take time to eat together as a family. It's easy to get into the habit of eating at different times or sitting on the couch in front of the television. And we've encouraged you to at least once a week to make an effort to, to sit together and eat together as a family, without phones, without distractions. Now, some of you I know who live alone wonder what that looks like for you. I think just making room for the, the practice to have someone over, getting into a routine of eating at home, um, I think is a, a good thing there as well. I hope that those of you that have done this, uh, for those of you that it's a change for, many of you probably didn't have to change anything. Uh, but for those of you it's a change for, I hope it's been a blessing. I know it's been a blessing for Lisa and I, as we've just really enjoyed the times that we get to talk and share together around the table, and I think that's a good thing. We'd gotten into some bad habits with sitting on the couch with dinner instead of at the table, and this has been a, this has been a good change. We're going to our, our, be telling you about our next phase next week. We're going to kind of be giving you the details about it. So with the turn of the month, um, be ready for that. We're excited for that, so stay tuned. Today, I want to talk about what it means for us to serve as Jesus did. And then I want to to call up two of our newest officers who were uh, elected last week at our annual meeting uh, to be prayed over, to be commissioned in their new roles. So we're going to do that again, or we're going to do that today. The sermon summary this morning is this. The effectiveness of your service for Jesus will never be greater than your submission to Jesus. I'm going to say that again because I know we don't have a PowerPoint today. Uh, For those of you who are note takers, let me say it one more time. The effectiveness of your service for Jesus will never be greater than your submission to him. In the ancient world, there weren't many more difficult situations that could befall a person than to be a widow. Especially a widow without a son. They were usually forgotten about by society. And that's not just true in the Middle East. That's true across history. In the ancient world, to be a widow was an unenviable place. And so in a way, a widow's life was all but over. Because there was not a a family structure to care for her. And so what would happen a a lot of the time, if you were a Jewish widow who lived outside of Israel is you'd come back to Israel, particularly to Jerusalem, because there was this belief that it was better to be buried there. So if you didn't have any constraints, if you didn't have any family, if you didn't have anything holding you anywhere, you would often go to Jerusalem. And that had this effect of just causing there to be a great number of widows in Jerusalem. Now, the early church coped with this for a couple of reasons. They, they went out of their way for a couple of reasons. First, there were the commands in the Old Testament that they had, commands like Exodus twenty two, twenty two, which says, you shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. Right? God had commanded his people to care for those who could not care for themselves. But then on top of that, the early church also had the commands of Jesus to love one another, to care for one another. And so they took it upon themselves to make sure that these people who could not take care of themselves had the food that they needed to survive. Now there's a phrase in this this passage that we need to talk a little bit about because it's a little misleading. It gives us the wrong idea. In verse 2, the apostles say it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. And that phrase, wait on tables, it kind of sounds like a dismissive thing, like it's just not very important work. And, and when you compare that to the rest of the things the apostles do, you, you kind of get that feeling, but it's not the case. For us, when we hear wait on tables, we think of a, a, the role of a waiter or a waitress, which is good, dignified work to do, right? But when we think about all the things the apostle does, that seems like a big, a big gap. Well, In Jewish culture, this was a little bit different because it was the head of the household's role to make sure that everyone was fed, to make sure that everyone was taken care of. It wasn't a servant's job. It was the head of the household's job. When they were extending hospitality, it was the head of the household who waited on the table. This was not an undignified thing. This was not a servant role. This was a leadership role. So a phrase that might mean something similar today, that might kind of hit the same notes for us today, would be to to oversee the household, or, or to sit at the manager's desk, kind of this activity that shows the importance of the role. It was an important role of service. And it'd be difficult, because these were not wealthy people, and these were not easy times, to have a lot of people that could not contribute, but could benefit would be very difficult. It'd be very difficult to oversee, difficult to manage, and there'd be a lot of people that you'd have to listen to, whose cases you'd have to hear, that you'd have to make sure got everything they needed. And so they called seven men filled with the Holy Spirit and filled with wisdom to do it. Now this message is called Serving as Jesus Did, and I want to talk about what it means for us to do that. And I want to start by looking at two specific examples of roles that we have here at Calvary. Both of which I think are models of this Jesus-like service. So I want to start with our deacons. For some of you, you'll know all about deacons. For some of you, you're wondering what they do. Maybe you've heard the word a few times and you're not really sure what a deacon at Calvary is. Our deacons, along with Pastor Ben and I, make up the Deacon Council, which meets once a month. And oversees the spiritual matters of the church. As a council, they oversee, they supervise, and they hold the pastors accountable. And as individuals, one-on-one, they help with pastoral ministry and the, the spiritual matters of the church. Our deacons also help with our visiting. They provide Pastor Ben and I with accountability, with wise counsel, And they're part of the conversation and decision-making process for all the major spiritual decisions in the church. So, you know our new vision statement? And you know our new vision statement, right? Like, everybody knows it by heart. Is there anyone taking it aside besides Pastor Ben that wants to give it a shot? Jim. Jim. That's great. Great job, Jim. Great job. We are a family of God's people being formed by the gospel of Christ to love and serve our community. For those that didn't see the great event that just happened down here, Pastor Ben knocked over his entire pew cushion and everything that was on it. So that's fun. So that's fun. Not to draw too much attention. So the deacons helped to craft that. We did that together. Right, That's part of what the role of a deacon is. Being a deacon requires a few things. It requires a Christ-like character, a spiritual maturity, a gift of wisdom, and a commitment to serving the church by being available to the people in it. If you have a question about spiritual matters that you aren't comfortable talking to Pastor Ben or I about, or we aren't available, these are the people I would refer you to. More than that, if, for example, you have a conflict or a concern about me, or about Pastor Ben. My hope, of course, is that you'd come and you'd talk to us about it first. We try to be approachable, and that's always what we would prefer, but but we all know that sometimes that might not be the most appropriate thing to do. There might be a reason that that wouldn't work, and so the deacons are who you should go to. Deacons are the leaders we trust with spiritual maturity and with wise service. Spiritual maturity and wise service, I think that sums up the role of the deacon. Another good example are our trustees, our trustees. Our trustees oversee the stewardship of the church. They oversee the property and finances and they're also they also lead us in hiring and supervising church employees. They're the primary authorities with everything regarding church buildings and its operations, our finances, and all the church property when When, for example, let's talk about, let's have a crazy, for instance. Let's say part of the ceiling were to just fall. (laughs) That would never happen, right? But let's say that it did. Let's say it were to fall on a Sunday afternoon, thankfully, just a short time after service was over, which is exactly what happened a few months ago. The trustees are the heroes that rush in to take care of that, right? They taped off the pews. they, They made the phone calls and the arrangements. They take care of getting it all repair. That's what the trustees do. In other words, if God has entrusted Calvary with a material thing, the trustees are called upon to oversee it. The trustees at Calvary also have a special burden to bear. They have to deal with a senior pastor who is absolutely useless when anything is not working the way it's supposed to. And I am terrible at remembering how to fix things, like really terrible. So even if it happens multiple times, I'm still I'm still not able to take care of it. You might think that's an exaggeration. Let me assure you that it's not. Like, for example, the first time I had to send a panic text to the trustees because some alarm was going off downstairs while no one else was in the church. And they they led me through the process of pressing one button to turn it off. That was probably fine. It was the first time. I imagine the second time it happened, they were a little irritated wondering why I didn't remember how to just press one button so the third time it happened and I could not for the life of me remember I made Caleb call one of them so that they uh, (laughs) did not know that it was me that did not know what to do and you know what and I thought about saying but I now and I, I honestly I don't remember which button I'm supposed to press it's happened three times I'm useless with things like that the trustees bear that burden and they bear it well being a trustee requires a Christ-like character, a spiritual maturity, and a gift for stewardship, a commitment to serving from behind the scenes. See, the trustees, they don't, they're not in front of the church as often as the other leadership roles can be. To be a trustee is to be willing to serve behind the scenes, and that's a special humility because without our trustees, our building would literally fall apart, or when it fell apart, it would stay fallen apart. But they're not as often in front. If you have a question about anything related to the church building or property, these are the people that I'd refer you to. Trustees are the leaders we trust with spiritual maturity and humble service. You see, if we're going to serve Jesus, if we're going to serve our Lord, we have different gifts All of us to be able to do that. And finding a place and a way for those gifts to be used is a part of what it means for us to worship and follow him. If you think about church volunteers or church leaders, there's a passage in the New Testament that immediately comes to mind that describes them perfectly well or as best as we can find. And that's in 1 Timothy chapter 3. You could turn there or earmark it if you wanted to. You could just listen. Listen is the clearest description of what a church leader, like our deacons and trustees, should look like in the New Testament. They're called to be above reproach. They're called to be faithful, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, and to have an even temper. In other words, 1 Timothy 3 says this, The first calling of every leader is to care for their own souls. The first calling of every volunteer, every Christian, but especially every leader in the church, is the care of their own soul. And that is the first calling of every Christian. Whether you're a student, a parent, a spouse, a professional, whatever. Your first calling is to your own soul. It's through your submission to Christ and the Holy Spirit's work of transformation in you that all your other work is fueled and fed by. And the effectiveness of your service for Jesus will never be greater than your submission to him. What this looks like, because that might be what you're wondering, okay? You're saying that, that we need to submit to him in order to be able to serve effectively. What does that mean? Well, it starts very simply. It starts with acknowledging at the very beginning that we are not capable of saving ourselves, We acknowledge our sin. We go to the Lord and repent, and we accept his forgiveness. We accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and we are adopted into his kingdom and given his Holy Spirit. That's step one. Anyone here who hasn't taken step one, please, I encourage you to come and talk to Pastor Ben or myself or one of our deacons afterwards, and we'd love to talk to you about that. But then the relationship with Jesus begins. And what this relationship is, is this process of going to him, of developing holy habits, to spend time in in the word, to stand before him in prayer, to come and be part of worship before him, to sing to him, to give back the, the blessings that he has given. We sacrifice and we give so that he can take and use that for his kingdom work. And he doesn't need any of this. We're not doing any of that because he needs it. He makes all those things possible for us because as we do them, as we worship, we're changed. We're made more like he is. And this process begins. We give over more and more of the parts of ourselves that do not honor him. We submit to him in ever more amounts, ever greater amounts. And as that happens, as we submit, as we turn over, we become more ourselves than we ever were before, more who we're supposed to be, and more like Jesus. And that's the calling of every single Christian. There is no Christian that is not called to care for their own soul first. But for those who step into the role of leadership, absolutely, this has to be their priority, or they should not be in leadership. Because the thing about serving when your cup is empty is this. It starts to take more and more, and our motives start to shift. And you can know what I'm talking about, right? There's those times when, when you're, you're at spiritual highs and you're in service and you can just sense or feel or observe the effects of the Holy Spirit, the fellowship of the people you're serving with. Everything is as it should be and there's something that just feels right. And then there's those other times when, when you've been neglecting the care of your own soul, when things are not as they should be and the service is harder And it's frustrating, and your patience is shorter, and you slap on the fake smile, or you do the pretend thing, right? But it takes something from you to do that. It furthers the exhaustion. It makes going back to Jesus harder. It builds up this internal junk inside of us. It's not too late, if that's you, if you're in a position of service or not, but you kind of of resonate with that, that, that it's harder to go back to him because you've been kind of faking it for a while. I want to tell you it's not too late. Today is your day. Go to him. Spend time with him. Tell him. He already knows. And just watch as he empties out the junk and he starts to fill you again. The key when you're struggling with submission is to ask him for help. And he'll help you submit to him. And you'll be amazed at the transformation that can happen. And our leaders, whether they're trustees or deacons or Sunday school teachers or anything else, they're all called to be examples of this. Right? We should be able to look to them. And I want to say with absolute confidence here, one of the things that is wonderful about Calvary is that our leaders do this very well. When we sit together on church council with our our deacons, our trustees, our financial officers, one of the things that is just remarkably clear is it is a group of men and women who belong to Jesus and care about his kingdom. That's something we should all aspire to do. And so I want to ask you, before we go into the specifics about what it looks like to serve as Jesus did, I want to ask you, is that you? Are you there? Do you submit to Jesus, to his lordship in your life? Is he changing you? Are you growing? Do you have holy habits, times in scripture, times in prayer? If not, don't delay. Don't wait any longer. Today is the day to begin. Or perhaps you haven't taken that first step. Perhaps maybe you've been here and you've been serving, but never have you truly acknowledged your own sinfulness and gone to him and asked for forgiveness. And if that's you, today is the day. Don't wait another moment. Do it today. You'll be amazed at the change that can happen. So what does it look like for us to serve as Jesus did? A few weeks ago, my father-in-law, he gave a sermon, a tremendous sermon sermon. About John 13, the passage where Jesus, the Son of God, the creator and sustainer of the universe, takes a towel, he wraps it around his waist, and he goes and he washes the dirty feet of the apostles. What does it mean for us to serve that way? It means a willingness to be humble. A willingness to put others before ourselves. A willingness to truly look at a job that needs to be done and instead of saying who's going to do this asking how can I help get this done. It means looking at something like the relief sale and instead of asking man I want to keep my eyes down so no one asks me to help. And some of you are guilty. Me too sometimes. But instead of doing that it means Asking ourselves the question. How can I be a blessing? How can I be a part of this? And you can't be a part of everything. You can't, you can't sign up for everything. That's not, that's not what we're saying. But you know the things that you can do. And the things that you can't. And if it's time. If you're able. Asking yourself. How can I put others before myself today? That's what it means to serve like Jesus did. And we we heard uh, Fred talk about the blessing that comes to us, and that's absolutely true. You might ask people that are there at 4.30 in the morning if they're feeling blessed to be present at the pancake and sausage breakfast, and they may not say yes, right? I imagine some grunts happen before coffee is drank. But if you ask them at the end, I think to a person, people will say yes. And that's how truly submitting to Jesus and loving others works. Right? The blessing becomes apparent during and after the service. So, whoever you are, whether you're a volunteer at Calvary, whether you're a part of our leadership or not, I want to encourage you to make a practice of serving like Jesus did. Of submitting to him. Because your service will never be effective until you submit to him. I want to encourage you to look to our leaders here at Calvary as examples, our deacons, and our trustees, I do want to identify them today because I don't think everyone knows. If you're a deacon here at Calvary, would you please stand up? We've got John Norlin. We've got Andy Strubar. We've got Portia Hoffman and Darren Doss. Go ahead and sit down. If you're a trustee at Calvary, would you please stand up? We've got Brad Strickler. We've got Jim Haynes and Jim Goof. Ryan Schrock is not here today, but he is also a trustee. Look to them as examples. And I want to say with with absolute confidence that all of them are capable of being that. But I want to encourage you as well to follow the example of Christ-like service. If you're not serving, if you're not part of the ministry here at Calvary, find a way to plug in. The first calling for every Christian, and especially for leaders, is to care for their own soul. To know that you're a child of God and to submit again and again to the Lord. Because the effectiveness of your service for Jesus will never be greater than your submission to him. If you struggle in this area, don't lose heart. Remember, Jesus is the one who got down and washed the feet of Judas who would later betray him. You have not done anything that makes Jesus turn away from you. If you're upset because you've waited a long time, or you think he's upset because you've been down for a while, I want to encourage you, don't lose heart. Don't be discouraged. Jesus' love for you has never diminished, has never gone away, has never flickered for a moment. It is absolute. It is unyielding and un ending. He wants to be with you always, all the time. His love for you is present and real. It's not too late. Jesus does not reject us. Remember that he too is a servant. He's the one who wraps a towel around his waist and washes feet and he's ready to love and to comfort you. And he wants you to practice putting a towel around your waist and being ready to love and comfort and serve others. In the midst of that, not only will you experience a blessing, but so will they. And if you're not yet, one day you'll be that example that others can look to for what a servant of Jesus Christ looks like. Please pray with me. Father God, we come before you thankful for blessings. You are amazing, Father. You are good and holy and awesome. You are love itself, Lord. You are righteousness itself. And we praise you today. And Lord, we ask, we ask that as we come before you again and again, in prayer that each time you'd give us a strong sense of your presence and Lord even in those times when our insides are junked up when we've not been in the practices we should be when we've avoided times in prayer when we've neglected your word we pray that even then you would give us that strong sense of you and if we don't have it Lord encourage us Call us, pull us, kicking and screaming if you need to, back into prayer, into repentance and submission and obedience to you. Remind us, Lord, that there is no calling greater than the care of our own soul. Because every calling that comes after that depends on it, Lord. And we thank you for the leaders we have at Calvary. We pray a blessing on them.